morning. Today we get to hear from Isaiah 2 and 3. So 2, 12 through 17. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low, against all the cedars of Lebanon, lofty and lifted up, and against all the oaks of Bashan, against all the lofty mountains, and against all the uplifted hills, against every high tower and against every fortified wall, against all the ships of Tarshish and against all the beautiful craft. And the haughtiness of man shall be humbled, and the lofty pride of man shall be brought low. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Isaiah 2.22 Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for of what account is he? And Isaiah 3.10-15 Tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. My people, infants are their oppressors, and women rule over them. Oh, my people, your guides mislead you, and they have swallowed up the course of your paths. The Lord has taken his place to contend. He stands to judge peoples. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders and princes of his people. It is you who have devoured the vineyard. The spoil of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people, by grinding the face of the poor? Declares the Lord, God of hosts. Thank you, Forrest. Well, good morning. Some of you remember Mac Davis. Mac Davis brought one of the greatest songs to us as a people. The lyrics went like this, Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I love that song. I oftentimes would have it as my mantra. And then the Lord would humble me greatly. It was really Israel's theme song. They thought they were a people that had accomplished so much. They took great pride in themselves. They were full of themselves. They were a people that were intended to worship God, to walk in His light like we looked at, come up to the holy mountain and to to be fed on His truth, filled with His truth. Isaiah, verse 6 in chapter 2 says, The Lord has abandoned His people, the house of Jacob. Isaiah sees that the Lord has taken his hand off the people Israel. He's abandoned them by no longer blessing them as a people, as they have chosen to turn away from the Lord. And he has taken his hand off. Because instead of filling up on the Lord, they're filling up on junk food, looking for ways to be satisfied instead of coming to the banquet table of our Lord and receiving from him. Look what the scriptures say that they're filling up on. They're filling up on superstitions from the east. They're filling up on silver and gold. They're filling up on horses and chariots. They're filling up on idols that are made with their own hands. They're full of everything except God. I have the image of 
the Israelites sitting back on Thanksgiving Day and have been filled full and loosened their pants and just one more piece of pride pie. And the Lord is going to take them to a place where they're going to eat one more piece of pie, but it's going to be humble pie. And He's going to bring them to a place of recognizing that He alone is God. And He does that with us as well. He alone is God. He alone is the only one worthy of being praised. We continue to go after all these other things, things that we've made with our own hands. And I think the question for us this morning as we look at the Scriptures is are we becoming a people that are full of other things, full of pride in ourselves and what we've accomplished and who we are? Or are we becoming a humble people? Humbling ourselves before our loving God, our almighty God, our sovereign God. The God who is in control of our lives, our creator. Is it in God we trust, like our currency says? Or do we pull out our $20 bill and go, thank God for me, in man we trust? Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that you will tear into our hearts, expose any way in us that is prideful, expose any way in us that, that uh, seeks to, to gain glory for all that we have done. Father, forgive us for not coming humbly before your throne, praising you for who you are and for your work in our lives, for giving us life, salvation, fulfilling us at your banquet table. Forgive us, Father, for eating all this junk food. Lord, we want to be a humble people. We find it hard in our present situation often. We feel like we're going to be downtrodden and stepped upon. But Father, you were humble. Lord Jesus, you were humble all the way to the cross. And so we want to be more and more like you. So through your Holy Spirit, do your work this morning in us, I pray. In your precious name, amen. Filled up, that word, as you're good Bible students, you'll see that that word occurs a lot. They were full, full, full of all kinds of other things except for the Lord. They were full of superstitions from the East, the scriptures say. Eastern philosophy was something they really drew upon. Wisdom and knowledge came from the East. You remember when Jesus was born and the three wise men from the east came to see Jesus? A philosophy and a looking to the stars for enlightenment. It was magic. There was a mysticism. And the people of Israel were being filled on this. And we think, oh, that was just the people of Israel. Well, let me just show you the Today Show just a few days ago on what we're being filled up with in America. And the other big debate of the week, what is your zodiac sign really? Horoscope readers across the nation freaked out when learning that Aries may not be Aries anymore. Some are blaming NASA, but let me tell you that is not exactly right. Here's the real story. People, they're not taking it well. It's a cosmic level freak out. I'm a Gemini all my life. Okay. 
You really think you're Gemini? Yes, I think I embody it to the core. I'm a very social individual. I love everyone and everyone loves me. What's your birthday? My birthday is May 23rd, 1990. I hate to break it to you, you're a Taurus now. What? Seriously. You can't just change it. It's a debate that could disrupt big business. Last year, Americans spent a whopping $2 billion on the more than 81,000 astrology and psychic businesses in the country. Websites like Horoscope.com get 5 million unique visitors a month. But did anything really change? Astrologers and astronomers both say no. It all started with NASA posting a new article for kids, highlighting a lesser-known 13th constellation called Ophiuchus. NASA updated the dates for each of the other 12 existing constellations that other groups like astrologers use for zodiac signs, leading many to believe their signs had suddenly changed. Hoda, you were a Leo. Don't say were. Girl, you're a cancer. No. Yes. No. no, it's good. Cancer's good. We're good. No, cancer. no, no, no. But it turns out that so-called new constellation was discovered 3,000 years ago. The astrologers who write your horoscopes based on the Earth, Sun, and Moon say they've always known about a Fiacus, but never planned to use it. Your zodiac sign has not changed. Um, it's not based on the constellations directly. Your zodiac sign is, is based on the planets. What if I told you that you're actually now in Aries? What? I always kind of thought I was a Taurus. My concern as you watched that video was that many of you gasped when you realized that your zodiac had changed. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing how, how many people are going, five million hits a month, two billion dollar industry a year, and we think, oh, that's, that's just something that crazy people do. People being filled up people placing their trust in the Zodiac and what their sign is. And really coming to a place where they can somehow, hopefully, as they learn about the change, control it. Like, wait a second, if that's not who I am, then i got to be a different way. And, and if I don't like that, then I'll somehow fix this. I was amazed at, again, their struggle. Like, oh, no, you know, I'm no longer a Gemini. It really embodies all who I am. Not only do superstitions from the East infiltrate the world that we live in, but it, it infiltrates the church, doesn't it? Things that we're looking for to fill us, different philosophies, different ideas of looking to where we can find trust, and, and it starts to permeate into the church. I just had a, a buddy of mine who was part of this great church that was really growing rapidly and, and uh, kind of exciting, new vibrancy. And he was part of the, the council, part of the board of that church. And he was starting to notice on Sunday mornings they weren't, they weren't really opening up the Bible. Uh, they were just kind of teaching about things, about topics, and, and never even really went to the scriptures about what the Bible had to say about those topics even. And so he went to the next uh, council meeting and said, I've noticed that we haven't been getting into the Bible lately. And the leaders of the church said, we've decided as a church that we're no longer going to use the Bible as our main source of teaching on Sunday mornings. We're going to use some books that are Christian books that offer some good ideas. We're going to use some topics that we feel we should address. 
But the Bible will not be our main source on Sunday mornings. And so he promptly left the church. It's a big church. The Bible is not going to be our main source. We see stadiums filling up to come and listen to charismatic leaders preaching a self-help religion. Filling up, looking for trust in all that we can do and accomplish in and of ourselves. Filling up on superstitions from the East. Filling up on silver and gold, really, that we are satisfied in wealth. And we're looking to that. Full of chariots and horses. It's a military strength that we're looking for. And you know what's interesting about this? This goes contrary to what the Lord set out in Deuteronomy 17, verses 16 and 17. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause his people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses, since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver or gold. So the Lord is laying out to his people Israel, who he delivered out of Egypt, how he wants them to live in obedience to him, and says, don't do these things. And what's Israel doing? They're being filled up on these things. They're defying God and his word. They're going against him. And they're trying to find satisfaction in everything else but God alone. And God is going to respond to that. You fill up on your amazing chariots and horses. The amount of money spent on military defense in America is astonishing. There was $1.6 trillion, uh, one, one site had, $1.6 trillion spent worldwide on uh, defense spending. America used 37% of that amount. And of the, the top seven nations next to them, below them, they, they spend as much as the next seven nations on defense, military defense. As Americans, we are definitely building up our horses and our chariots, looking to that to provide us security. We're full of handmade idols, idols to self. I think many of us really stand in front of the mirror and go, man, we are pretty incredible. Idols, the thing that's nice about them is you can control them. You've made them. And so if you get frustrated with them, you'll just make something else. They've put their, tr- their pride, their trust in all that they've made and accomplished. And verse 8 says, they bow down, not to God, but to the work of their hands. They have become, Israel as a nation, has become the creator. Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. And God is going to step in. Full, 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 yet totally empty. Matthew 5 says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And what's the Lord going to do? What does he say of his people who hunger and thirst after righteousness? They shall be filled. They shall be satisfied. So here's the question in the middle of Israel 
being filled on everything else. And sometimes as we take a look at our lives, that we're being filled on everything else except for the Lord. What is God's redemptive plan? Don't miss this. What is God's redemptive plan for a sinful people who are being filled on everything else? What is God's redemptive plan as he places judgment on his people, which he's about to do? The thing that you have to understand is that God's judgment is redemptive. He's not in the business of laying judgment upon a people and then saying, good luck, I hope you make it through. Because it's going to be a wrath of God that's strong. In his redemptive purposes, there's amazing grace that comes through. But there's consequence. The consequence is this. They are going to be humbled. And God does that with us as well. Whenever we're being filled on anything else other than him, when we're making idols with our own hands and saying, look at all that I've accomplished, God is going to humble us as his children. He's going to bring us to a place to realize, you're not the creator, I am. But it's redemptive. And like we talked about last week, let him do that refining work in your life. Let him, let him tear into your heart and let him reveal in you any way that's not pleasing of God. Verse 9 says, so here's God's action. Man is going to be humbled. He will be brought low. Do not forgive them. The idea is, don't lift them up out of that lowly state. They need to understand their place. If they're my children, they need to understand that they are not God. Don't forgive them. Don't lift them out of that. They're going to enter into the rock because of the terror of the Lord from the splendor of His majesty. The beauty and the power and the awesomeness. We sang about this morning so much. The awesomeness of our God. Our holy God. The pride of man shall be humbled and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. In that day when the Lord physically reigns on this earth. When He establishes His kingdom. Whatever your end time theology is. That day is His presence ruling. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He alone will be exalted. He alone will be glorified. There will be no idols standing. And man will be humbled. And in that day, man will glorify the Lord and Him alone. The Lord of hosts has a day, verse 12, against the proud and the lofty, Against all that is lifted up. He talks about the cedars of Lebanon. They're lofty. He talks about the mountains that are lifted up. The the high towers against every fortified trump wall that's built. And against the ships of Tarshish. Against the beautiful craft. All of this haughtiness. Verse 17. That shall be humbled. And the lofty pride of men shall be brought low. And the Lord alone will be exalted on that day against all. Everything that man tries to build and everything that man proclaims as high and above and everything, remember the building of the Tower of Babel? We will build a tower. And the Lord humbled them and brought them low. He will do that in our lives. 
when we seek and we, we glorify ourselves and we take our pride and we go, look at all of me. But it's redemptive judgment. And he's going to do it. He's going to do it with his people Israel. There will be an ultimate day where every knee will bow, where every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The splendor of his majesty. And all of a sudden, in that day, it becomes like the movie, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. You all of a sudden get zapped, and you look around you, and everything is mightier than you. And in this case, it will be God alone. Verse 21, they enter the caverns of the rocks and the clefts of the cliffs and before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty, there it is again, the beauty of all that he is and his awesomeness. He rises to terrify the earth. You see, when man thinks he is great, that's a terrifying scene. When all of a sudden you realize you've tried to take the place of God. Everything that is next to him that they try to make big like him is going to be lowered. There's a story out of Detroit back in the 1930s. Three young guys get on a bus, and there's a guy kind of sitting, he kind of has frumpy clothes on, he's sitting in the back of the bus. And uh, he's kind of slouched over, just, you know, elbows on his knees. And these three young, kind of strong high school kids come, and they start taunting him, making fun of him just really giving him a hard time. He gets up out of his seat and these three young guys realize this is a big dude. And this big dude just looks at him, all three of them in the eye, reaches in his wallet, pulls out a card, hands it to him, walks off the bus. They all three look at the card and it says... Three simple words. Joe Lewis, boxer. (laughs) Joe Lewis was the heavyweight champion of the world. Could have destroyed these guys. When God rises up, everything will be humbled. The splendor of his majesty and who he is. It will all be humbled. And we put trust in all of these things, all of these things that were created. We put trust in these chariots and our military power. We put trust in our money. We put trust, trust, trust in all these areas. Oh, the Zodiac is my main deal for trust. And verse 22 is really clear. Stop trusting. Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is just breath. To what account is He? It is God alone who's worthy to be worshipped. It's God alone in who we can only find truth. It's God alone where we can have salvation and life through His Son, Jesus. There's only one place to find hope and peace and joy. And it's relationship with our loving Lord. It's in relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ. Do you have that? If you don't, you're going to keep looking to the stars. And you're going to try to fill up, fill up, fill up, and you're going to be empty. It's just junk food. And God alone. It grieves God's heart when we're seeking after everything other than Him. We worship idols. 
We make great boasts about our lives, how great we are. And when we do that, we strip away God's glory. We try to. And that's what really grieves his heart. You're trying to strip away my glory and take it that you would receive the glory. That is what grieves his heart. Oh, if you'd only understand that if you humble yourself before me and receive my glory, as you look to me and as I'm glorified, then what happens is my glory pours out on you. But for some reason, you feel like you're in competition with me. And that grieves his heart. And he's going to humble us. And he's going to strip away all of our pride. For behold, the Lord of God, the Lord God of hosts, this is chapter 3, is taking away from Jerusalem, from Judah, support and supply. What's going to happen? The Assyrian Empire is going to come in and wipe them out. Support of bread and of water, the mighty man, the soldier, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of 50 and the man of rank. Everything will be stripped away. But God's judgment is redemptive. But all that we place our trust in, it's going to be crushed and stripped away. Pride, pride, pride. Proverbs 16, 8, you know it pretty well. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before the fall. The leadership is going to fall apart in Israel. All of a sudden, they're going to be taken out of the picture. And what they're going to try to do is they're going to try to hand off the leadership to the children. We have no one else to turn to. And so they go to the children like, here, you take the robe. You take the leadership. And, And in this case, the children are like, I don't want it. Are you kidding me? Don't give this to me. Our city's in rubble. I won't take the leadership. One of the ways that the Lord judges the nations is that He strips away their leadership so that everybody's running in chaos. i got to be honest, as I was studying this passage, it made me wonder what God's doing with us as a nation. It really did. I don't have any great insight into how God's going to deal with us as a nation, but one of the ways that we see the Lord throughout the Bible history of dealing with nations as he strips their leadership. We are a nation that says, in God we trust. We are a nation that when the polls are taken, it says 70% of us are Christians. But it sure seems to me that it's in man we trust in this nation. And how God will deal with us, I do not know. There was a thing on Facebook I, I thought was kind of funny. It had a picture of uh, Secretary Clinton, and it had a picture of Donald Trump. And it said, you know what? 325 million people in America. And these are the two we end up with. <laughs> 325 million, and this is the two. And that's funny, and at the same time, incredibly sad. And, and God, I think, is dealing with us as a people. But I think the thing that's good for us as Christians is that, you know what? If we're getting all frantic about it, if we're really getting to a place like, 
oh my goodness, Lord, I, number one, I don't know who to vote for. Number two, whoever's voted in, it's just, it's craziness. And if we're being stirred and stirred and stirred about it, are we getting to a place where in man we trust for us as a nation? Are we getting to that place? I think the Lord's been dealing with my heart in it. Again, I watch the debate and I just go, oh my, oh my. But then I have to step back and the Lord reminds me, Rod, did did I take my hands off? Am I not in control of what's going on? Maybe, maybe the Lord is going to let us suffer some of the consequence of our sin as a nation. Maybe. Maybe he's going to take his hand off and let us really... It's turned over, it seems like, two children arguing in a school ground, right? In God we trust. Will he humble us to bring us to that place of realizing the splendor of his majesty? Will he bring us to a place where we will bow down to God alone? That may be some of the work that the Lord is doing with us as a nation. There will be judgment upon the leaders, and he, and he judges the leaders, especially spiritual And community leaders, how dare you crush my people? You will be humiliated. You will be brought low. Here's one of the things, and this is what I hope we're being as a people in the middle of this nation of ours. He says in verse 10, there's this little glimmer of hope in the middle of his righteous judgment. Tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they will eat the fruit of their deeds. And I think that's the verse we need to live on. Father, help us to be righteous. He responds to righteous people and they will eat the fruit of their deeds. They will be filled up on the Lord himself. And so may we continue to trust in him for he alone is exalted. He alone is the one who is to be glorified. As you look at the big picture of this passage in, in chapter 2 and, and going into chapter 3, I think the Lord is asking us to take a look at our prideful hearts. And I think He's asking us to, to seek a life with an attitude, to live with an attitude of humility. To deal with that which, which is incredible pride. Pride is a, a great barrier, isn't it, to our union with God. It's an incredible barrier for us. We're grasping after our own glory. We're, we, we become like a, a football player who wants both in life. We come and we score a touchdown and we point, to, we point to the heavens. And then at the same time, we rip our shirts open like Superman. Who's getting the glory? I don't know. Pride's an incredible barrier for us in our relationship with the Lord. Social media in 2015 had over 60 million photos with the hashtag with it that said selfie. Over 60 million. Hashtag selfie of me and me. As you look at all that's going on with plastic surgery in the world, they can't even keep up with the demand of people wanting plastic surgery so that they can take selfies with their new face. Pride, pride, pride. David Letterman had a comment. You know, late night TV, some of you enjoyed him, some of them maybe you didn't. But he said this in his journey. 
He said, you know what? You start to believe in all this time that you're doing TV that you are affecting mankind wall to wall. And then when you finally get out of it, you realize that's not true at all. It's just all silliness. It occurred to me as I was evaluating my life, I realized I didn't care much about television that much anymore. And I felt foolish for having been misguided by my own ego for so many years. Frederica Green says this in her book, The Jesus Prayer. Ego builds a cardboard fortress that humility must every day tear down. I think that's true in our lives. We are drawn to pride. We're drawn to boasting about ourselves. But it's a cardboard fortress. And every day, with the power of the Lord, Lord, make me humble. Strip away that pride from me. I want to be more like you. Ego, arrogance, pride that says we don't need God. We don't need a Savior. And Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says this, For it is by grace that you have been saved. And that's through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. It is not by works. Why? So that none of us can boast. Our very lives, our very salvation, is a complete gift from God. We can't even take pride in saying, I said yes to Jesus. No, no. God gave you and turned it into your heart. It's all God's work in your life. And you received it, that wonderful gift. And all we can truly say is, thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Get to that humble place that he brings us to. And we strive to live in humility like our humble king, Humility, allowing ourselves to go low, doesn't mean you become a doormat. It means in your strength, you allow yourself to go low. And we become humble before the one who is worthy of being glorified. The scripture has a lot to say about pride and humility. Proverbs 13.10 says this, Where there is strife, there is pride. But wisdom is found in those who take counsel, advice. Let me finish up with a story about J.R.R. Tolkien. The one who wrote The Hobbit. The one who wrote The Lord of the Rings. You know, he hung out with C.S. Lewis and those guys, the Inklings. And he turned in to his editor his copy of The Hobbit. And... And he actually told the editor, he said, you know what, it's, I'm going to be late on turning it in because I need to redo the three first chapters of, of The Hobbit. And the editor was upset, and he's like, well, what's going on? He says, well, I gave it to Lewis and a couple of the other guys. And Lewis specifically said, you know what? He said, it's too wordy. There's too much Hobbit talk going on. And Tolkien really loved The Hobbit talk. He loved it. And so he was kind of stirred by that. And, and, and he wanted to have that Hobbit talk. And Lewis also offered a couple other things. The first draft, you may or may not know this, the story centers 
on a hobbit, the main character named Bingo, who sets out with his two companions, Odo Took and Frodo Took. And Lewis said, I would suggest another name than Bingo. (laughs) And so Frodo became the main character and joined by his friends Sam and Pippin. I wonder what the story would have been like with Bingo, the character in The Lord of the Rings. And so the whole story was transformed because Tolkien, who was a great author, humbled himself, listened to the counsel of others. And then all of a sudden, an amazing story was written, wasn't it? God wants to write an amazing story in our lives. Will we live a life that is humble enough to receive from our king the only one who's to be glorified? Will we lower ourselves, get over ourselves, and say, Father, I receive from you. I climb up that holy mountain, seeking after your truth and your life. I climb up to the holy mountain, which indeed is the place where you are holy. And I want to learn to trust in you alone. For you are God. You are God alone. Let's pray. Father, again, forgive us when we trust in so many other things. Father, we repent. We want to turn our ways. And Father, bless us as we come into your presence. Father, renew us. Father, we do hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we thank you that you fill us full of you, of your life, your joy, your peace, your hope. We thank you for that. And so, Father, this morning, together as a body, we surrender unto you. Help us as we go forward that we may be a people, a humble people, like you were, our humble King. In your beautiful and precious name, amen.